tonight before the episode starts, we uh, we thought it was necessary to address something that's been going on uh, that Rudy and I have very strong opinions about. And we think it's time that we give our opinion of it. Uh, I know certain people know that we would have certain opinions of it. So we just want to get it out of the way and end that discussion and move on to other things like vintage baseball. Rudy, I'm going to get your opinion about this, but I'm going to give you my opinion first. Fruit Loops has many different colors. They're all the same flavor. This is a true statement. How do you feel about this? I feel like I lived a lie for the majority of my childhood. Um, I feel like Toucan Sam was a false idol. Um, I didn't have this awakening till recently that yes, they are all the exact same sugar coated flavor. Do you th- is Fruity Pebbles the same way? Oh yeah. Let it's me tell you, is it, are you telling me that all the Fruity Pebbles are also the same flavor? They're the same. It's, it's, it's cereal concrete. That's what Fruity Pebbles are. You could like build a, a brick house with that stuff. So yeah. is there a cereal that has multiple colors that has different flavors for the colors? Is there something true tried and true out there in the cereal community? This, this is complete misrepresentation. We've uncovered the CD underbelly of big cereal. Cocoa Pebbles tastes chocolatey though, but it's one color. Yeah, and all the Lucky Charms, they're just marshmallows painted different colors. They're not different flavors. Yeah, but, but they're in, not in advertised. Charms, they're not advertised to taste different. They're just whatever. Lucky Charms. Fruit Loops, I thought I was going to get something fruit. that tasted like a rainbow. Oh, that's Skittles, <laughs> dude. <laughs> all right, here we are. Here we are, Roller Around the Barrel Vintage Baseball Podcast, talking vintage baseball players with Coast to Coast, Border to Border. It's almost time for the season to start. I'm very excited. Uh, I see a lot of posts of teams either getting together this weekend for the first time on their schedule, or they're really, you can tell they're excited because they're talking about their opening day in like a week or two, and they're like posting pictures like, hey! And it's still a couple weeks away. They're very excited. We're very excited. Uh, as we will get, we're very excited because we get to see each other in person on May 6th at the Flat Rock Invitational in Flat Rock, Michigan at Hurok Park as we uh, unveil a new video presentation. It's not that much different than any other video presentation, but we'll be proud of it, I'm sure. It's going to be a combination of vintage baseball meets pop-up video from vh1 something something in the middle there <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have all kinds of vital information on the screen for these matches uh rules scenarios and uh and also some facts about the players uh and some funny tidbits also along the way so let me bring Everyone in my co-host no you can't talk until i bring you in stop it there's a there's a process we follow around here, and you are ruining it. You are right. And I, I apologize, You're and I will stop talking now. Talking. Please go ahead with your introduction. All right. Let me bring in my co-host. He is... A... Thanks, Barrel Roller. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here this evening with you. 
I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Nope, that's I it. Go ahead. I can't see your angry face right I, now. I am not angry. Uh, for the for the listeners out there who can't see uh, the, this this setup we have going, I think we've uncovered the technical issues, audio issues we've been experiencing. However, Barrel Roller has decided to jump on the sacrificial grenade and go without video this evening. You're for welcome. The betterment of the sound, <laughs> the You're sound quality. <laughs> yes, uh, Rudy. Uh, tell us how you've been and, uh, and then bring in our guest and let's rock and roll with this. Oh my goodness. Well, I am doing fantastic. I'm even, I'm doing even better right now, considering we had a, a, a week off last week. I want to get back into it and I, you know what, I'm not going to waste any more time. Um, and, uh, forgive me if I butcher uh, your last name, sir, but, uh, oh. joining us from the capital baseball club of, Lansing, Michigan. We have Michael Jerema. Oh, I'm going with Jerema. Oh, was I closer? Jerema. It's big. Am I muted? Can you hear me? No, you. We can hear you. Okay, it's uh, Jerema. Oh, you were closer. Like, uh, yeah, actually, barrel roller. If you remember uh, at the captain's match in Frankenmuth last year, I gave you the guidance on pronunciation of Ray like Ray of Sunshine, and then you started calling me Ray of Sunshine the rest of the night. Son of a gun. Well, I am annoying <laughs> like that. Uh, I do, now that you say that, I totally remember that. But before that, no, totally wiped out of my mind. Uh, Jerema. Ray. Like, there's so <laughs> many people that that deal with last name pronunciations that have something lined up for people to teach them what their pronunciation is. I'll never forget how many times I called Jeff Kozlowski by something completely different. And he said, listen, and he was, he was not happy. And he said, listen, it's just like <laughs> luggage. Okay. Just Jeff Kozlowski, you know, just come on. And, and I'm like, Oh my God, he has heard the wrong pronunciation so many times. Uh, Michael, how many, uh, out of every 10 new people that say your last name, how many get it right on the first try? Uh, I would say zero usually. No, Maybe if we you're bitter. bring it up to 20, you'd get one. <laughs> you're bitter. There's no way 10 people get that wrong. Just come on. What's the it's most... not a very common last name. It's uh, so I am, my family hasn't been in the States for super long. My great grandpa came over through Ellis Island. So there's only a couple generations, but they had a bunch of kids. So if there are any Jeremas out there listening to this, we probably are some kind of cousin going back to the Saginaw area. Ooh, I love it. Let's make that connection, people. Actually, I did meet someone. I can't remember who when we played the Union Club of Dexter last year. I met a ballist whose wife, her maiden name was Jerema, I believe, and we figured out we were cousins. Shut up! That's awesome. Yeah, she wasn't living anywhere near Saginaw, but that's where they all propagated from. <laughs> Uh, Michael, it is good to see you. I don't know how many actual real conversations we've had. I believe we've had many small ones. I don't think we, I think so. I don't, oh, introduce us to the dog. We're not going any further until we meet the dog. Uh, well, she just left because, so we have two dogs. One of them loves to bark at everything. And then this one sometimes gets worked up by the first one barking. So she's usually the calmer one. I thought she was going to be fine on my lap. 
little one starts barking downstairs, she barks, tears off downstairs too. So she's we're actually gonna, gone now. We're gonna need names and breeds. What you got there? What are the dogs' names? Uh, they are both a Shih Tzu toy poodle mix called a Shipu. Uh, <laughs> Fenchurch is the older one, named after the character Fenchurch from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books. Oh, we're dealing with a nerd. Okay. We oh you absolutely are. <laughs> and then the other one is Elena, named after Elena Fisher from the Uncharted video game series. So yeah, those are both yeah, things yeah, that yeah. my wife and I both like. Yes. Before we get in, before we get into all this, let me let me just tap into the nerddom a little bit. You're friends with Grant Parker, correct? Absolutely, yes. We uh, we met in sixth grade, or not sixth grade, in first grade when we were six years old. And we became friends because we both had Super Nintendos. And then in December of 2019, he was actually one of the two groomsmen in my wedding. It was just my brother and him. So we're close. So Grant Parker is the the newly elected captain of the Bay City Independent Baseball Club and uh, quite a nerd himself. So this all makes sense now. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, I, I can't wait. I have Grant Parker on the show coming up within the next month. So I can't wait to talk to him about your guys's bromance. Uh, <laughs> speaking of romance, Rudy, uh, yeah. at, at the end of this episode, we'll be uh, releasing our remake of Guy Love from Scrubs. So hang on to that as we <laughs> sing Guy Love. Uh, only the only a little bit because you'll you'll hear you'll hear that Rudy. Although he was an actor and got his degree in acting, it was not in singing, and I'm way even worse. <laughs> so, <laughs> the worst ever. Uh, all right, Michael, let's get to the meat. This is what we want. This is what we want from you. We want to know how you got into vintage baseball, how you decided to start your own team, how you got your field, what your decisions were on your event that you started, where you're at today, where do you see your future. Go with it. Go. Okay. Uh, well, I will preface by giving a little context to the story of how we got started. I personally have practically no baseball history myself. I was indoorsy growing up, which you can gather from the nerddom. Mm. I was uh, into video games, drawing, reading. I played jazz drums in high school, that sort of thing. I did play t-ball when I was four or five years old, mostly because my brother had played. And I spent my time in that drawing rainbows in the infield dirt with my fingers. Like, yeah. And then after that, I attended half of a Great Lakes Loon game because my cousin, Michelle, was singing the national anthem. And I enjoyed myself, but I had to leave early because I was a teenager and my mom was my ride. And she didn't have any interest after my cousin had finished. So <laughs> that's the context. Not a historical. Oh, actually. OK, I don't want to say not a historical baseball guy because we're talking about historical baseball, which I am very much so. But I historically am not a baseball guy. Love I've it. never been a hater or anything, but I'm more of a Detroit Lions fan than anything else. I'm sorry. So on to the genesis of the Capitals. Uh, we talked about I'm friends with Graham Parker, Moonlight of the Bay City Independence. Uh, met a long time ago. He was in my wedding. In September of 2020, he was going to be playing with the Independence in the State Cup tournament that they were hosting. And I'm from Bay City originally, so I thought it would be fun to go see it with my wife, Emma, and bring another old school friend of mine in Moonlight's along as well. And I expected that it would be a nice little surprise for him. He'd appreciate the support. We would have a fun day outside. It'd just be a good time, fun way to spend a weekend day. I didn't expect to completely fall in love with vintage baseball over the course of a couple of hours. I didn't expect to see a sport that had so many people of all ages playing together. 
And while they were certainly trying their hardest and playing competitive, on a personal level, they were being so non-competitive about it. Just so friendly to one another, heck, friendlier to their opponents than to their teammates a lot of the time. There's a lot of laughter, congratulations given to the other club for outstanding plays. In most sports that you watch, when one side does something incredible, the other side is full of groans or just this quiet, dark seething. Mm -hmm. And they might get mad at their own teammates for mistakes that they make. There's just this really thick tension in the air. And that was something that had always driven me away from wanting to try other team sports myself. I didn't want to immerse myself in that tension. It isn't rewarding for me. It's just stressful. But with vintage ball, there was sort of a lightness in the air. Like when you've been in a stuffy room and you finally step back outside, the difference in how that feels, how distinct it is. I was picking that up as I watched my first three matches back to back. Wow. Uh, so back to things I didn't expect. I certainly did not expect to be leaning over to Emma and telling her that I wanted to join a team back home in Lansing. But I did some Googling while we were watching the tournament and I found out pretty quickly that there wasn't a club in Lansing. And that didn't seem right to me, the state capital not having a club. So I started to talk about it with Emma and with that additional friend who had come with us and that friend's wife. And by the end of the tournament, I had resolved to start research, uh, start a research plan to try to make a club for Lansing. Let me ask you this. You're sitting yes. there with Emma, and Emma knows, Emma knows you. Emma knows who you are, and you say, and you say, "Hey, I want to do this. I want to make this happen." What is her reaction to somebody who, who knows this isn't really your your deal? I think the fact that it was a a sport would be a surprise, but. I mean, she could also see the nature of the game while we were there and how it's kind of different from other sports I might have tried to pursue. And she also knows that I am the kind of person who sometimes will just take it upon myself to do something if I want it to be done. Here's the dog. Um, oh, my but, goodness. Look at that dog. That's a beautiful dog. <laughs> Sorry to the listeners. You can't see my little baby girl here. Oh, no, they okay. can. We have a YouTube channel. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. This will, this will be on the channel for all two of the viewers. But nobody <laughs> can see me. You're welcome. Most watched <laughs> episode ever. But uh, so she does know that I will make things happen if it's something I'm interested in where... For example, uh, this was before I had met her, but I've told her about this story. I mentioned briefly already in this episode that I was a jazz drummer when I was in school, and I kept that going up through college as well. And once I moved down to Lansing for work, I wanted to keep playing. And so I put a big band together, like the whole saxophone section, trombones, trumpet, rhythm section. And there was a lot of work involved in that, a lot of personal investment from me. And it ended up falling through because musicians can sometimes be notorious flakes and I had no call, no shows to practices, but I had still been the type of person to take the initiative on that and try to get it off the ground. So while there was no guarantee in her mind of this being a success, I don't doubt that she was sure that I would at least try to the best of my efforts to make it happen. Wow. That's fascinating. I mean, that's, that shows some stick and dedication. And as, as being a club manager, I'm sure you were well aware of all of the 
trials and tribulations that you will encounter throughout the uh, the season. How did you go about building your club? Because I mean, as building a big band, which I'm going to come back to that, um, like, did you just reach out to friends, uh, fellow musicians? Did you put ad, ad out in the paper? What was your process? So some of it, there was a, there was a little bit of friend recruitment. Um, I will say after we had seen the tournament, we went to Gaylord for a week for vacation to stay in an A-frame. And this is definitely, this is the way that I approach problems. We were there for our vacation for a week just to get away from everything. And they had good internet. So I spent my vacation just devouring any information about vintage baseball that I could. I sent questions to Moonlight, to uh, Silverback, to Squints from the Saginaw Old Golds, and I workshopped all the logistics, practices, funding, scheduling, uh, equipment sourcing, especially all that kind of stuff. I've been a data analyst for 10 years. That's what I moved to Lansing to do. And I make a spreadsheet for everything in my life that needs organizing. So this was right up my alley. Uh, like I said before, I have very little baseball experience and I play like it, but this is what I can bring to the table as a captain. I can research and organize and pull things together, calculate things all day long. So when it became time to recruit, I put out some feelers with friends, uh, with colleagues, something, some messages on Facebook. Uh, I put, made a couple posts on Reddit, actually. And we ended up attracting a great group of people who had, some of them had seen vintage baseball at Greenfield Village or they had some baseball history and wanted to keep playing in a more relaxed environment. Some people who were interested in the history of it. We actually, we have a guy who teaches history and has a history podcast and does historical fencing. This is all one guy. And uh, even the classic where that what drew people into to baseball back in the 1860s was people who thought it sounds like an interesting way to take their exercise, get outside with a group of people. So we all came together that way and started practicing and had a good time and kept at it. That's amazing. Uh, tell me about the history you came across as you're going through this entire process uh, that you instilled in your club that still exists that you use. What sort of history do you mean? Lansing. Okay. Um, well, actually, um, for the first year, we were the Lansing Senators because that was the earliest club that I had been able to find in my initial research. And they were a minor league team from 1889. But during that first year, I found out about the Lansing Capitals, who are a uh, pre-professional team that was formed on April 10th, 1865, which is one day after Robert E. Lee surrendered to General Grant in the American Civil War, which I thought was pretty neat. Uh, it turns out they were one of the more notable baseball teams in Michigan at the time, though they were definitely secondary to the Detroit Baseball Club and the Central Club of Jackson. So that was a tough decision, but ultimately we changed our name to the Capitals to meet that older history. If the Senators had just been something that we'd made up, I would have been more okay with keeping it. But the fact that it was historical, but incorrectly so, was bothersome. Plus, if any other club ever gets made in Lansing and they took the Capitals name after that, even though we were here first, that would have been a heartbreaker. But yeah, so the the Capital Club of Lansing, I believe they participated in the first tournament in the state in Detroit. And oh yeah, actually it's in our uh, game day pamphlet that I have here. They lost to the Jackson Centrals 45 to 14 in the first round, but who's counting? <laughs> uh, no, uh, back then, nobody. Today, yeah. <laughs> today, people are counting. Uh, uh, tell us about that uh, great event. Uh, this event that the Capitals 
of Lansing. I have to say that because we have two captains of capitals in the room right now. This is weird. <laughs> uh, this event I have not uh, made my way down to. It's a new. It's a newer event, and uh, there's been some controversy, but good controversy. Controversy that that Rudy and I enjoy. So we'll talk about that. But tell us about that event. So. Uh, yes, it is new. This is actually going to be our second year hosting it this year. Um, I'll be honest, the original germ of the tournament idea came just because we have such a nice field. Uh, when you're there, you wouldn't even know that you're in the middle of a city. It's flat and open. It's got enough space to run four ball games at a time. And there's a wall of trees on every side, parking, a public pavilion that has bathrooms. I just, when we were at practices, I just sort of accidentally started daydreaming about uh, hosting an event. And so then when I started giving it more proper thought, I realized Lansing is also a really central location in the state. So why the heck not? So I went with 1864 rules because let's be real worlds at Greenfield Village is the main event with capital letters. Mm -hmm. And I have no desire to try to usurp that position. Mm -hmm. And since worlds and Bay City State Cup are both fly events, let's add a bound tournament. Mm -hmm. For the finer details, it has open stealing and sliding and stuff like that, because I wanted to try making this event as much of a reenactment as we could and stick to as much historical precedent as we could. We don't always do so much for like we're not sticklers for an exhibition match necessarily, but for the tournament. Something we're hosting a bunch of other clubs for, I wanted to take that route with it. I know there's always a debate in the community about where the line gets drawn between accurate recreation and watchable summer activity but it was important to me that if something was changed from the 1864 game it at least had a reason like uh batting orders with more than nine people so you can get everybody to play and it doesn't affect the viewing experience yes i'm okay with that but i didn't want to make a modification if it was just because we think it makes the game better for us on the field Improving the game is the duty of rules committees over the years since then, not Cutter from Lansing. Cutter's my nickname, if I haven't said that. <laughs> Short for woodcutter because I make our baseball bats. Anyway, uh, if we knowingly change things at our own discretion, or just because it's how modern vintage just happens to be usually played, then it doesn't seem like historical baseball anymore. It's just different baseball in funny uniforms. Obviously, there's a ton of wiggle room with regard to newcomers still getting things sorted or people who are still learning new things or people who are well-established and have had something new pointed out to them and they haven't changed over yet or whatever. But I just didn't want to knowingly deviate from what we as a community best know to be true to the past, at least for the sake of the term. All right. A couple Although of things. One last note about. Go ahead. Oh, yes. No, you go ahead. Uh, <laughs> This is just a minor personal thing. Uh, small note about historical accuracy, because this keeps bugging me. The word is historical, not historic. I keep seeing that. Historic means like big or important. Historical means of the past. So like the COVID pandemic is a historic event. My great grandparents coming through Ellis Island is historical, but not historic. The Gettysburg Address was both. Any given match we play could be unexpectedly historic in retrospect, but in the moment we are playing a historical game. This appears to be a, a nerve that's been hit with you. Uh, a pet peeve yeah. of yours, if you will. Let's. Yeah. It doesn't bother me a lot, <laughs> oh, but I notice liar, every time. <laughs> liar. There's a vein. There's a vein that's popping out. <laughs> 
All right, uh, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna go back on a couple of these things that you that you brought up. One, Cutter is your your vintage baseball nickname uh, because you make the baseball bats. Do you want to plug your baseball bats right now, or you just want to move past it? Uh, sure, I wouldn't mind to. Um, you can just look me up as uh, let's see, it's Jarema, J A R E M A Batworks on Facebook, or let me make sure this domain still works. I'm pretty sure jeremabatworks.com will take you to a gallery of some of the bats I've produced. It doesn't seem to be loading, so that's not promising. But well, that's if you a, can email Jerema. Oh, that web... actually, it does work. It just needs to be HTTP, not HTTPS. So HTTP colon slash slash www.jeremabatworks.com. Gallery of bats feel like this is taking too long to explain. Well, that web, um, that website that. just went from historic to historical right in front of our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But the uh, other for thing. Our first year. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No. Uh, for our first year, we gave bats to all of the teams that we played matches against for as like a thank you for helping us getting our footing with designs based on their uniforms. So like down by the grip, it was where the shoes would be. And then down at the, I mean, there isn't really a barrel on a vintage bat, but down at the barrel end, it was where the hat was. And you kind of, the sweet spot where you'd hit would be on where the player's face is, but that was not a subtle message or anything. Nice. Uh, let's go back to the the line that you refer to, the line in vintage baseball. The It is not, it's a very unreasonable line, and I'll tell you why. When the Ohio Village Muffins, and Rudy's going to jump in on this, I assume, at some point. The Ohio Village Muffins start what they decide to go with in the vintage baseball community. The Ohio Village Muffins had an audience. They had somebody they were playing in front of. There were people coming there for vintage baseball. So modifying it for a much better spectating visual and experience was something that made made sense for them. Okay. And now teams say that same thing is we want something that's more pleasurable experience for people watching, but kids, no one's watching except your wife and your kids and your wife doesn't care. Okay. So, (laughs) so you're using something that's not true. You don't have fans. Now there are clubs that do have fans that come out, I'm talking the majority. I'm just talking majority. So don't tell, oh, this club has fans. Yeah, 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 I get it. Uh, Greenfield Village has fans. They have to put on a show. Understandable. When you are playing somewhere on uh, average Saturday at average city, two clubs, no tournament, no nothing, you're not playing in front of anybody. Just play by the rules. Just play by the rules. You have no reason not to. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's an excuse. Rudy, your thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm, I've, I, I can understand that. I, I mean, um, I feel like there's a, a change in the community where it is trying to get to a more accurate interpretation of what the rules were rather than what the rule, what rules were, uh, spread throughout the community. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're you're 100% right. I you 
with the 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 showman putting on a show to entertain the guests as a part as opposed to playing by the rules because um it's been stated about the world tournament when the world tournament was unrestricted and everything those games were long and high scoring and not very uh, fun to watch nobody really enjoys watching matches that are completely lopsided so you want to keep yeah i i can i understand that barrel roller uh, Michael, is it true you've had teams drop out of your event because of the accuracy of the rules? Um, we don't have to name them. Uh, I just want it's. Uh, is it true? It's a little complicated, regardless. Be like even without naming names, because so there was some controversy about specifically the open stealing, which. When I was doing the planning for the tournament at that point in time, I didn't know what the historical situation of stealing was. So I reached out to resources about it. I asked questions and I found out that, okay, stealing was a thing. So let's have stealing and let's try to encourage it to be in the more historical manner where it's more of like hands forward, not feet forward and closer to the plate, not like sliding a long distance across the ground. So we determined, yes, that's what we'll do. And there were some people that took issue with that because that's not how they normally play and they wouldn't stand a chance in the tournament was their perspective. And on the one hand, I understand that perspective because we had never done open ceiling before. And I wasn't able to play much during the tournament because I was trying to keep things going, but my, our club did play. And I think we got eaten alive a little bit by some people who were much better at stealing than us. So I get it. But with regard to if we've had anyone drop out for that reason, the club that had the that took the biggest exception to the open ceiling did drop out, but they said that they were having issues fielding a full team that weekend. And I am willing to take their word on that. So I won't say it was because of the open ceiling. How diplomatic of you. <laughs> <laughs> How nice of you, Michael. I work for the government. So. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, hey, I'm Mike, not a politician, but... Michael, we're going to get you out of here, but before we go, uh, we certainly appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some of the Lansing Capitals uh, history and uh, and all of that jazz. But you got a new a new season coming up. You have a brand new schedule. Obviously, you have your event on that schedule. I want you personally, not as not as club manager, as you personally, what match besides your own tournament are you most looking forward to on your upcoming schedule? Uh, it's got to be coming up to Bay City to play the Independents. We have played them every year. And there actually is some historical precedent for relationship between Lansing and Bay City. That's another thing we have in our pamphlets, actually. Um, Lansing beat Bay City in the first match that the original Lansing Capitals had against the Washington Club of Bay City, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Yes, the Washingtons. And then the Washingtons beat Lansing in the rematch 30-29, to both in that first year. And I think that's really cool. And obviously, I'm from Bay City, so I really like getting a chance to go up there. Some of my old friends and family are able to come out and watch. And I mean, I went to Carroll Park when I was a kid. I know the place. It's just really nice to be able to get to play there, even if I'm sort of 
turning traitor in doing so. Remember the the water fountain that was a lion in center field? Remember that water fountain? Yep. Uh, yes, I do. So many diseases. Uh, my... <laughs> it always smelled a little funky. <laughs> it did. Uh, <laughs> I've used it. Uh, <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, everybody, you can go to, you can find the Capitals like most others on the Facebooks. Uh, Michael, tell us everywhere people can find information about Lansing. Uh, I try to keep it consolidated on our Facebook page. Um, I actually, I have some long-term ambitions to start a nonprofit to help consolidate information on clubs in the state and help clubs schedule with each other, teach and all that stuff. I've been selling some of my old video games and Pokemon cards to help fund that getting off the ground. But for now, it's just on our Facebook page is where I try to keep everything in one easy to find place. So it's actually a Facebook group, not a Facebook page. I don't know if that makes any difference for how you find them. Not to anybody if you over for the 40. Lansing Capitals Vintage Baseball Club. There you go. <laughs> All right. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Rudy, go ahead and say your goodbyes. I, I'm just going to say, Michael, be careful because <laughs> you have the passion. You have a skill set. You're going to mess around and people are going to be coming to you for a bunch of stuff. So be careful, tread lightly, uh, and I wish you nothing but the best. I hope you have a great season, okay? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for having me on here. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Absolutely. Great. Look forward Thanks to seeing you for stopping this season. Talk to you guys later. We're professionals. We just step all over each other. That's what we do. Hey, man. Hey. <laughs> but you know what? That's how connected we are. Right? Uh, <laughs> is Zach here? Yes, Zach is here. All right, tell Zach we're going to bring him in, and we're going to keep him muted as we go. We have to cover a, a few things, but at least he'll already be in the room and ready to roll when we uh, introduce him. Because first, okay. we got a little business to take care of. Little hands, it's time to rock and roll. This is your Roller of the Barrel News Break for Thursday, April 27th, 1871. I'm Jonathan McLean. Dateline, Boston. The brand new professional club here in the city held their inaugural game against the Harvard Nine from Cambridge. 2,000 people came out to watch on the new Boston grounds, and they were in for a treat. George Wright turned a nifty double play, and the Boston scored four runs in their half of the first, only one of those actually being earned. Samuel Jackson used his lightning bolt at bat to hit for a triple, and then scored on a wild throw. A seven-run fifth inning, as well as goose eggs in the eighth and ninth for Harvard, brought the game to a conclusion with a final score showing a win for the Bostons, 13-4. Today's game recap brought to you by Raiders German Snuff. Qatar season is here, and if you want to clear out your nasal cavity, try the best German snuff in town. Don't let your kids suffer with a stuffy nose. Give them Raiders. And by... Atwood's Quinine Tonic Bitters. For satisfactory results, go with Atwood's. And by L.O. Litern Divorces. If that's not the kind of ride you're looking for, try L.O. Litern for prompt divorces. I'm Jonathan McLean, and this has been your Roller Out the Barrel News Break. Uh, Jonathan McLean, he never disappoints. Hey, Rudy, I turned on my camera for a second just so you could see the shirt that came in today. 
look at that. Okay, now I got to turn it back off because of the static. But uh, I will say that your shirt's on your way to you. Uh, and I believe it's a navy blue. But anyway, so to anybody who just saw that shirt, if you're interested in getting that roller around the barrel shirt, it's it's a little different because we know uh, we're not going we're not rolling out some big store and all that stuff for merch. We're just not we're just not that big of a deal. But listen, if you want that if you want that shirt I just showed you, you can Venmo me at Barrel Roller. You can cash at me at dollar sign bar roller b-a-r roller uh if you venmo or cash at me 30 bucks uh we will send you a shirt and you know that's it <laughs> so we don't make much <laughs> off of that uh any money that we make off of that would go towards new equipment <laughs> how apropos is that uh also we have episode 200 coming up sometime over the summer. Rudy, I just wanted to inform you that that's your responsibility and uh, of putting that show together. So you listen, you don't do Jack around here, Jackson. I don't do much either, but listen, <laughs> you don't have to time it right. You can, you can make this episode 200 recording whenever you want it to happen. Okay. And we just won't okay. release it until it's episode 200. Do you see what I'm saying? It is going to be a bicentennial extravaganza. I'm sure it will. So all of the all of that uh, planning, whatever you come up with, I don't even care what we do. I don't care what we do. I don't care who we interview. I don't care. Just it's your okay. responsibility. And uh, uh, and also, I got a shirt in the mail from the Riverside Smudge Pots today from Chris Johnson. So I just wanted to shout out to Chris Johnson. Thanks for the shirt. Uh, thanks for the stickers. Like and he sent a magazine. Uh, and I don't know if he sent this to you or not, Rudy, but they were the, the lead story in this magazine, and it was very impressive. And I, I can't wait to read it. But they're the cover art of this magazine that had nothing to do with vintage baseball. So it was amazing looking. And I just wanted to shout out to the Smudge Pots and Chris Johnson. Uh, thank you for thinking of me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they tend to they they have a lot going for them that make me a little jealous. So I'm excited for them. <laughs> you you always are, Rudy. Bring in yeah. our guest. Welcome to the party, pal. Well, uh, our guest has been so patient while we uh, catch everybody up on uh, what's new with the show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please allow me to introduce to you Zach Holdren. How are you doing, Zach? Oh, it, oh see? There we go. No, we're yeah. good. We're good. <laughs> it's on me. Uh, doing well, guys. Thank you very much. And uh Trust me, it was worth the wait. I cracked a cold one while we were waiting, so we're good. No, I saw I see you tipping back, and I was like, I should have grabbed one. What was I thinking? I'm just going to sit here and suffer. Uh, I love watching everybody drink when we do these recordings because I have to get up in a few hours and go to work. So thanks, everybody. Right. Uh, Zach, uh, former – now, you're going to correct me in any details I get here because I only hear bits and pieces throughout the uh, – the landscape of vintage baseball, but Zach, uh, former captain of the Wyandotte Stars of Michigan, he's shaking his head yes. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, sorry that you cannot see me on video, Zach, but there's an there's an audio issue when I turn on my video, so we we just want to keep this crisp and clean. So, uh, 
just just know that I look real good. And yeah, we told him we like listen. It sounds so much better when we can't see you, Barrel Roller. It's so. true. I got a face for this. Uh, and you also, uh, Zach also has a, a fantastic relationship with his father, Brian. Uh, from, uh, am I wrong on any of this so far? So far, I mean, you're nailing it. Uh, yeah. Peanut and I have been on the stars now for over 15 years so it's uh it's crazy and uh although i do not have a personal relationship with either one of you uh before we talk about you for an hour let me bring up your dad i'm sure we'll talk about your dad a lot your dad is a guy that commands respect without being he's not uh you know he he not in the way that you think he doesn't look imposing in any way shape or form he just walks into a room and you're just like that's a guy that's a guy that demands me to respect him and i don't know him and he gives off this aura i believe the word you're looking for is gravitas he does have gravitas would you say that's correct uh, zach uh yeah and having been you know essentially in his shadow my entire life uh, it's it's crazy to see, you know, people from all over will they go out of their way to come say hi, or, you know, you may not have seen him in, you know, five years, but you come up, shake his hand, uh, and you pick up a conversation just as if you talked, you know, two days ago. So, uh, he's, he's just one of those guys and, uh, uh, it's made, you know, relationship making and vintage baseball way easier for, you know, guys like me who work on the backside of things. So. Uh, yeah, I love, I love your dad, uh, and I don't know him. So I guess yeah. <laughs> that we, we, he has always treated me great. Uh, we've had some conversations, nothing of length, unfortunately for me. And, uh, so I would say that the Holdrens, Brian and Zach, whenever, when I was on Bay city, whenever we had Wyandotte on the schedule back in the day, I was like, sweet, I get to see the Holdrens because you guys are a couple of great dudes and it wasn't about playing the baseball game. As you get, everybody has those clubs where you're like thinking about the people more than you're thinking about the game. And uh, Wyandotte was definitely oh, one of them because your field sucked. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's it's only gotten worse over the years. We're we're working on it, but it's it's just, it's like Crater City out there this year, especially with all the, the weather damage from, you know, the ice storms and things. It is so terrible this year. And it always seemed to be the hottest day of the summer whenever Bay City would go down to Wyandotte. Always, uh, we it was only a couple of times for me, but but there were stories of oh my god, it's always hot when we go down there. Some, yeah, and very little shade on that field. Uh, a little bit of coverage for like when you're sitting on the bench, but when you're out in center field, uh, and you know Bay City's putting up their stereotypical eight to ten run inning, it is a scorcher. Always, it's, we're always like mid July. It's so it was it was fun because after the match, we always had a great gathering and, you know, breaking bread. Um, I always love coming up to Bay City and going to, you know, Cap's house afterwards. Uh, but you know, those July dates are always, always so terrible and wind up. So, Rudy, before we get into the questions about vintage baseball, uh, I do have a story. I have a story that I think I've talked to Zach once or twice about, but there was a match. Bay City went down there for a match, and 
uh, it was a great day. Uh, I believe Wyandotte got out to a big lead, and I believe we came back and won that match. After the match, this is where the story starts. So as soon as as soon as the match is over, all of a sudden weather shows up that we weren't bothered by all day. Last out, all of a sudden you see clouds coming. You're like, oh, my God. Well, we're going to the pavilion to have our food. So we're like, we're going to be covered. It's no big deal. I mean, it's a cloud burst. It's a downpour. And so everyone, you know, you're in a pavilion with no walls and everything, and everybody is stuck in there, but we're having beer, we're drink, uh, we're, we're having pizza, we're having a good time and everything, and it was kind of crazy. And then here's, here's the main course. We had a player. His name was Mad Scientist, okay? He was out in his minivan with his family, who he was with all day. They were there. They had a lot of kids, and they had a tent that was for uh, – timeouts because their kids kept getting in trouble so they their kids would have to keep taking turns at timeout so he comes running into the pavilion from the parking lot it's downpour and he grabs a couple of pizzas and he takes off back to his minivan and he's like hey i've i got my family in the van and he ran back to his van and rudy we never saw him again he never showed up to a practice. He never showed up to another game. We don't know if he even left Wyandotte. That was the last sighting of the mad scientist. <laughs> Clearly, this individual is dealing with the guilt of having stolen pizza from everyone. And so they're witness protection, it sounds like. Uh, Zach, do you, you might remember not have made that? It out of up. I do. That was uh, actually my sister's graduation party day. So right after the game, I tried to help clean up everything really quick, and then that weather hit. So, you know, afterwards, I'm sure there was, like, easily at least one, one, maybe one and a half pizzas left. I decide I'm taking those back to the graduation party, only to find that the graduation party was, like, decimated by the weather. There was, oh. like, only the grandparents were left. Um, there were, like, 10 by 10 pop-ups that were just turned inside out. So uh, we were eating why not stars pizza for a couple of days because uh <laughs> the whole party was was ruined um luckily we got our game in that's all that i worried about that day but uh yeah that the was uh thing happened. yeah 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 that was definitely a memorable date i, I do remember that one what did you do with our player <laughs> you know he might be hanging out with one of our players that uh his very first game uh decided to sub in at second base a pop-up behind second base. He took a tumble going after it. Possibly, uh, he said he thought he broke his collarbone and never heard from him after that game. So I, him and uh, Longhorn was his nickname. They might be uh, hanging out together somewhere uh, in one of uh, Wyandotte's oldest bars. You know, We never know. <laughs> Some people say you can still hear them to this day at the ballpark. Breaking their collarbone <laughs> and stealing pizza. That's what they're known for. That's not, that's not great things to be known for. Uh, okay, Zach, take us all the way back to the very beginning of finding vintage baseball. We'd go back. We're, we, we'll try to circle around and go back to the very beginning of baseball in your life. But I have a feeling you have a lot of this meat on the bone because of your father's involvement. So go back to the beginning. How and where do you come across vintage baseball? Um. Much like some of uh, the guys uh, that we all like watch playing, um, field trip to Greenfield Village. Uh, they put on a little demonstration uh, as the Lottie does. 
I remember buying, uh, it was like set one or set two of the baseball cards and a baseball with like artwork going all the way around it of the Lottie Daz like in their uniforms. Now I was probably 12 or 13 and I'm like, oh, this would be really cool to, you know, come and watch one day. Uh, fast forward five years or so, it was my senior year of high school and um, my dad was friends with uh, Greg, uh, Rudy Powell. And uh, Greg got a hold of my dad and said, hey, Wyandotte's looking to put together this, you know, team for, you know, put on like this heritage game of baseball. Have you ever heard of it? And my dad hadn't heard of it, but he brought it to my attention. I'm like, oh, my God, I've seen this. I know exactly what they're talking about. Um, it would be really cool if he participated. Um, I was only 17 at the time, and they were like, you know, they didn't want to go under 18. They wanted to keep it, you know, adults. So that was fine. Um, but he went to one or two practices. I went with him. And uh, the rest is kind of history. Um, they decided to make it. The, the first game was just a one-off against the Laridas. And uh, they decided, well, if we get enough guys committed, we can do a full season. Um, we had enough connections where we could put together, a, you know, a pretty good schedule. Um, and then the offer came for me to play full time with uh, with the stars with my dad. So, um, you know, going from seeing it, you know, at 12 years old to playing it when I'm, you know, 17, 18, that was that was pretty cool. And I know a lot of guys share that 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 story. What was uh was there any hesitation on uh your dad's part getting you out there? Uh I mean I don't I'm not asking you to speak for him, but could you sense it? Because as somebody who has taken a vintage baseball field as a young age with my father and brothers, like uh, you know, he wants to make sure we're safe, but you know, because we're right. playing with grown men, but did you get any sense of that? Um, a little bit. Um, you know, it was after high school. Um, I had already determined, like, I wasn't going to play, you know, beyond, you know, beyond high school for baseball. Um, I was, you know, strictly an academic when it came to college. So, um, when I got out there, um, the guys who came out to our, you know, to our team, there were a few older guys. Um, there's a couple guys who could, who could really, you know, hit and could, uh, you know, can do a few things, but, um, it wasn't like, like our very first match, I think, is when I seen, you know, my dad's eyes kind of widen a little bit. Like, oh, this this is a little more serious than what we do at our practices where we just kind of take BP, have fun. Um, I started off playing at second base and it was it was, you know, weird seeing everybody else's hesitation to fielding a ball, you know, barehanded, catching a line drive barehanded. Um, very shortly after maybe midway through the season, I took over at first base because I was one of the only guys that wanted the ball thrown like directly to him. You know, everyone else was trying to skip it to first base and, you know, do all this to, you know, make it easier on, on people. But I mean, you got to play it like you are playing with a glove or, you know, mistakes can happen. So uh, his hesitation, it was, it was early on, but once I, I think once uh, we got the feel for everything, it was I was more kind of worried about him because um, he hadn't played in years. He he coached me when I was in Little League, but 
uh, he never like picked up a bat or anything. So that was, I'm, I'm like, I don't know what he's getting himself into at this point. <laughs> Dude, let, wait up. Let me ask, let me follow up on this barrel roller. Cause this, this is a hit a nerve for me. Uh, uh, just strictly because my father's ni- first nickname was Fearless. He never met something he wouldn't run into or sacrifice his body for in a game. And what was that like trying to be like, Dad, are you okay? Dad, how about <laughs> we not do this? Dad, Dad like, what, 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 talk about treading that water with your father trying to be like, to like not take care of but look after his safety as well yeah i I mean he's very similar like thinking he can you know i'm gonna i'm gonna put one in the gap make it a triple i'm like you need to pull back a little bit you know (laughs) know, start start with just just little texas league singles you know and then uh defense you know rotate in and out there's plenty of guys who play second base rotate in and out you don't got to be there all nine you know take it easy a little bit oh Man, I hope I hope Ian Frias or uh, Rudy Frias are listening. <laughs> uh, you know, you, the one beautiful thing about vintage baseball is that you get a chance. It's just about the only sport you get a chance to actually play with your dad. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you you grow up playing baseball, and sure, they can be coaches or your biggest cheerleader, but to, you're actually walking on the field with your dad. Do you remember a moment? Uh, during a match, I know I'm really trying to go back in your memories, and, and I'm sorry if you can't think of anything right off the top of your head. But a moment of playing with your dad where you're like, this is the coolest thing in the world. Um, It was probably that first season. We didn't win a game at all, but uh, somehow uh, Greg got us invited to the world tournament. And, you know, we met a lot of these guys. uh you know, and we step out on the field for the first time and it's like, you guys know vintage baseball. There's few and far between when you have crowds and things like that. Sure. And uh, it just so happened that the batting order, we, uh, we batted back to back. So uh, I think I hit a single, I was on first and he came up, you know, to bat right behind me and to hear uh, it was probably, um, man, Marcus was still playing at the time. It was probably, uh, uh, the Thomas Roosevelt uh, actor, you know, announcing my dad's name. I'm like, this is cool. Like, it, it, not when I got announced, because, I, you know, it, it is what it is. But once I got on base and then they announced my dad, I was like, all right, this is, you know, th- this is a cool moment. Uh, yeah, you've been announced a lot. You played you played enough baseball and everything. Uh, you've never heard your dad announced or anything like that. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, uh as we say a thousand times on this podcast, uh, vintage baseball feels different at Greenfield Village. So let me plug them for a second. If you if you want to enjoy the best of vintage baseball, you can go any weekend during the summer to Greenfield Village and watch vintage baseball with a crowd and just get the different aura. And it's the setting, although right field on one of the fields isn't the greatest, and there's a, there's a stone path that goes through – it's okay. It's not perfect. I don't like it that much, but, but the aura, but the aura can't be beat. Uh, the aura cannot be beat. So, uh, that's why they play on a field like that is because it's, it doesn't matter where, you know, so, uh, shout out to the Greenfield village Lottie does for keeping vintage baseball, uh, so fun in Michigan. 
Uh, Zach, tell us about when you were deciding you loved it so much you wanted to run the club, and then tell us what went into the decision that uh, it was time to step away from running the club and just being a player again. Um, running the club, it was kind of a it was kind of a, a situation internally where um, we needed some new blood. We needed uh, uh, because why not? Very unique. Why not is ran through uh, the city and the, the city museum, whereas a lot of vintage baseball teams are all independent. Um, so a lot of things like we have to get approved. We have to jump through a lot of hoops because of the, you know, the ties to the city. So we, there were some changes that needed to happen. Um, and, you know, there was a handful of us that stepped up. Um, me, I was, I think I was in my third or fourth year of college. Um, not quite, um, in my career at the time. So. I had a little bit of extra time. Then we had a couple other guys uh, step up. Uh, one retired cop, so he had a lot of time on his hands. Um, he took a role um, that was like a go between between the city and the club uh, that we had created set to make things a little easier on, you know, the guys running the club and the guys that are like doing the day to day playing. Um, and we just kind of gelled. There was uh, four of us at the time. Uh, Writing the schedule was pretty much my big uh, responsibility, writing the schedule. And then we would organize, hey, home games, we got to provide meals. Uh, we need equipment, things like that. And then we'd all make that happen. But um, the big thing for me was writing a schedule, writing a schedule that would uh, kind of push us a little bit to our limits. Um, we try to limit travel to maybe once a month, you know, big road trips. Um, and with teams popping up all over, that kind of helped a little bit where we would, we were able to, you know, play a lot of more, a lot more local games. Um, and it, it helps that, you know, Dearborn's pretty close to Wyandotte. Uh, so we'd get our, uh, game or two in there as well. Um, but, you know, as, as time goes, you know, uh, I'm now in my eighth year of teaching, uh, high school and it's it was it was kind of just time the, the writing was on the wall um and we had some new blood that wanted to uh invest their time so what i did is i took the role of the city uh go between uh, th- th- we call it a, a coordinator um so i handled like the back side of things with the city instead of being a captain on the field and you know writing the schedule and things like that um i passed that off to um jerry haynes uh last year was his first year um it went it went as expected i think it was uh, very much a first year of being a captain uh this year i think is it, it's going to be way better um our schedule our schedule's great it's i think it's the right amount of games and then the right opponents as well where um we're going to get pushed you know throughout the year but also we're going to uh have a lot of fun and we're doing a couple new things you know we're traveling out to lansing um visit those guys uh, for the first time uh we played them in uh, frankenmuth uh last year and they were awesome so uh thank you uh, for you know making that connection for us uh right there on the field um but yeah it was just time for me and uh last year was a lot less stressful as a cat there it is that's what a I lot, yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of stress. You know, you got to, how many guys am I going to have coming to this game? Do I have enough? Uh, uh, who's bringing what to the meals? Uh, uh, and things like that. It's just the little headaches. Yeah, that... You're making Rudy twitch. I see a twitch starting. Uh, when, <laughs> when I took over the Capitals, I had a full head of luscious, thick hair. And then, you know, you got to make some sacrifices for the good of the club. So, I, yeah, you know, that's it. It, it is a what who was it that said it? Uh, someone said it that vintage baseball for people who are playing is a nice hobby for people running the team. It's a part time job. Oh, right? that's 100 percent true. And one of these days I might make the jump to just being a player again. But uh like it, it like it, once you're invested like your time and everything you're invested like i couldn't fully walk away from that i want to make sure that you know everything's going to still run somewhat you know smoothly as i expected it you know because i was captain for 10 years so let me ask you this captain for 10 years what was it like captaining dad oh uh we had a like, like a mediator uh that would keep us <laughs> keep us both in line because uh, I got told many a time that I was uh, being too hard on him and then vice versa, <laughs> us chirping at each other across the field. And, uh, you know, you, it, it, it's it's so stressful sometimes when a guy's 45 feet away from second base, but he wants to underhand a double play ball. I'm like, you throw the dang ball, you know? <laughs> Zach, how are we just now meeting and having this conversation? How is this possible? Oh my gosh. You guys have, have something so to bond over face. right here. This is uh, this is incredible. My my therapist wife would call this trauma bonding. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. So there's a co-captain that would be uh, Joe Dirt. He would come up to me and be like, "Hey, tone it down a little bit. You're yelling in front of these, you know, hundred people on the hill at the village." Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I feel like. I feel like they're 100%. Even there might have been a game where we were on the field doing the same thing with our fathers against each other, but definitely that same weekend in Greenfield Village having the same emotions. This is very cathartic for me. Thank you very much. I, I remember vividly, actually. Um, it might have been our last tournament. Uh, we I think we opened up against the Capitals, and it was a very, very close game. Yes. And, and uh, even in the, the close games, that gets amped up just a little bit more, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Those are the games where I rely on uh, Rudy to, like, bring me back down to, like, just, like, not so much of an – it's not, like, ego check. It's just, like, hey, hey, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's something about Rudy that makes me happy. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, uh, Greg. Sorry. Yeah, he, he comes over with them shoulder rubs, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah just relax." He's he's been known to to get between my dad and I once or twice, exactly. just to just to calm things down. <laughs> Zach, you brought up Frank and Moose, so I want to take this opportunity, and this is something I should say more often when I run across captains or former captains uh, from clubs that have attended Frank and Moose. I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for having enough faith in an event that didn't exist with a guy who really didn't exist in vintage baseball that much. I was just like a, a role player on Bay city and uh, you had enough faith uh, to come to Frank Muth. You had definitely added to the event and made it uh, as big as it was and then successful as it was. And then I, and then I actually dealt with Jerry for a season. 
on that. And, yeah. and, and it was great to, to, uh, see him at the captain's match and, and everything. And, uh, I just want to say, thank you. I don't think I say that enough to the attending clubs when I run across them. And so I'm starting with you, Zach. Thank you, Zach. I'm glad I'm the first, but, uh, no, we, we can't thank you enough for putting it on and all, all of the volunteers too, because I know you had a t- like a ton of people that were, you know, you know, at a drop of a hat, they were going to help you out. Um, that, that, uh, uh, the first year we were disappointed we couldn't fit it into the schedule, but then, you know, the second year it was, you, you got to me early and I'm like, absolutely like this, I'm not letting it pass us by twice. And uh, I'm glad we didn't because it, some great, great memories, some great bonds were made up there. Um, we're still trying to figure out how there's a couple restaurants that uh, don't have liquor license. Uh, we just happened to find both of them one weekend. Did you go to the Mexican restaurant? Or yes. Yes. It was the Mexican restaurant. We're like, there's no, no beer, no margaritas. What? what? Wait, I don't even know about this. How is there a restaurant yeah. in Frankenmuth that doesn't have a license? How are you surviving? My father, my father was so offended. <laughs> it's a real thing. Like I, I had no idea. We walked in and like the wait was as if like they were just you know pushing a ton of food. They're like hey, you know, twenty twenty five minutes. We get in and we, hey, Corona. And they're like no, Margarita, no, no. Like, What's going on? Where where am I at right now? <laughs> well, I apologize for that. No, no, it has nothing to do with you, but it was, it's a story, right? Like, that's what all this, it just, you walk away with a good story. We, it was great food, but we immediately went next door to the bar and uh, closed that down. So was that Main Street Tavern? I'm trying to think of what bar is next to the Mexican restaurant. Is it Tiffany's uh, it was, Main Street Tavern? It was actually around the corner. It wasn't right next door. It was like right around the corner. Um, not too far from the barbecue uh, restaurant. Wow. That's uh, so no, you got your beer. It's, it's, it was a great story. That's all. <laughs> Let me ask this before we move on Was the Mexican restaurant the first of the two restaurants you went to that didn't have a license? Uh, when did you go to actually, the second that, one? No, that might have been the only one. I might be exaggerating okay. a little bit because other people were like, Well, you better not pick another one that doesn't have a license. So I was now it was like deep in my head, like, all right, if I'm picking the restaurant, I have to do my research now. Uh yeah. That's, all the pressure of being a captain boils right. down to like encapsulated <laughs> in that moment of I gotta get these guys some booze. <laughs> yeah, and funny enough, like the early risers were eating there. I'm like, what are the early risers doing here? They are like above and beyond anything that we are as a drinking club, <laughs> they're, they're eating their, their, their tacos like everybody else. I'm like, oh, well, I'm sure we'll run into you guys down the road somewhere. I'm sure they were just disappointed. Also, I need to thank you for attending an event I put together at Hamtramck Stadium back before they, they, they fixed it all up and everything back when it was kind of a, a dump. <laughs> I guess oh, is yeah. the best way to yeah. put it. We had uh, the the Mount Clemens Club and and you yeah. and who else was there? Uh, the Frankenmuth Bavarians. Club, right? Well, the Bavarians were there. I think it was four clubs. Okay, there. I don't remember. Might have been four. Yeah, uh, that was back when they had the uh, cement walkway going through like center field. And we and, had uh, uh, Cindy Cobb there throwing out the first pitch. Ty Cobb's 
great-granddaughter or granddaughter or something like that. But she reenacted. Yeah, those pictures, they still. Yeah, because uh, Ty Cobb threw on a first pitch at that stadium, so she reenacted that first pitch. So, And the mayor yeah, but... of Hamtramck was down there, too, in full dress. You remember that? Full dress. Full... I do remember that. That was uh, oh. That was a great day. And then I got drunk afterwards with the regulars for a little bit. Just a little bit. Oh, did they bring the uh, the peach? Uh... You know they did. You know they did. <laughs> uh, I might have been there for one. I, I, I uh, a little little fuzzy. I fit in as much as I could in the small amount of time because everybody started leaving. I'm like, where are you going? I'm ready. I'm. I just got all this stress off my shoulders. I'm ready to party. And everyone left. Anyway. Thank, oh, thank you for I, that too. I have a story. <laughs> I have a story real quick about the regulars. We went up there uh, one year, and it was a long match. It was probably three hours. Um, and we finally sit down to eat, and they break out the sangria. And within ten minutes, like the park ranger comes by and says, "All right, you guys got to go. Like we're closing the park down." The disappointment that <laughs> you could have seen in everybody's eyes when. Like the sangria goes away, and the, <laughs> you know, because we literally had ten minutes to like devour our food and get out because they were getting ready to get you know, write citations or whatever to anyone who was still lingering in the park. Dang! And uh, for the listeners out there, uh, the regular sangria is uh, kind of a rite of passage, I would say. I remember my first sangria moment, and then I was very upset that. I had just come into my life after knowing this club for an extended period of time. So it's, it's the real rite of passage is if you get to drink it from uh, from a uh, best hurler's mug as it gets passed around. That's the rite of passage. Oh, it's anybody else gets gets the Dixie cups. The Dixie if you cups drink from the mug, you're you're somebody. I just realized I've oh. only ever gotten the Dixie cup. What the. What the hell's going I, on? I took here? my drink from <laughs> Paul Hunkley. Oh, there you go. Yeah. He had like a period appropriate. Yeah, he had, he had, he had, a, he had a, yeah, so it was very appropriate. It was accurate. Yes. <laughs> Did he tell you everything you were doing wrong before he handed you the cup? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, here's this and then here's this to make up for it kind of, oh, it's even. Yep. Uh, yep. Zach, you're a teacher. Uh, I see that if I look at my information that you've so kindly provided on social media for everybody to uh, devour, uh, you studied secondary education and you and you majored in social studies at Eastern Michigan University. Social studies is something I took in grade school as a kid. I don't think it was something that ever went on. What is what is so social studies in a college atmosphere? What are you actually dealing with subject matter wise? So really, it's kind of like painting with a broad brush. Um, it covers U.S. history, world history, uh, economics, government. You know, you can go into psychology, sociology. Um, it pretty much, I had to take a little bit of everything. And then my minor was in history. So uh, I had to take way more U.S. history to uh, to earn my minor. But it, it essentially, I had to take a little bit of everything. So that way, when I go to teach, um, I have some sort of background knowledge in all of the the social studies. Um, I prefer to dabble in U.S. history and government, but uh, I'm able to do pretty much anything that I need to for uh, teaching high school. 
Are you are you a full time teaching right now? Yeah, so I'm in my eighth year. Um, I'm teaching in the district that I graduated from, uh, and uh, when I went back, uh, I initially got a job uh, at their virtual academy, um, thinking that I would use that as kind of like a stepping stool into the high school. And uh, after eight years, I kind of found kind of similar with vintage baseball. I had so much invested in this program, growing it from like 30 kids to now we have almost 400 students virtual. Um, and yeah, kind of COVID has a little bit to do with that. But uh, pre-COVID, we had 305 students. Um, so to help it grow and help it turn it into what it is now, I'm pretty much invested in this program uh, where like, I don't know if I would take a... Uh, face-to-face, -face, you know, classic teaching job uh, anymore. I, I'm kind of in this new realm of uh, virtual teaching where there's a curriculum and you get to assist one-on-one -on -one with these students, kind of give them uh, almost like tutoring, but it's, you know, make it more geared towards them. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of our students, they're like last chance kind of kids. Um, you know, for one reason or another, they're not able to attend five days a week in school. So uh, that's kind of really the rewarding thing is, you know, seeing a 19 or 20 year old who may have been written off, you know, a year ago or two years ago, uh, able to finally walk the stage and get their diploma. So that's kind of my realm of teaching right now. Are you Heck teaching yeah, mainly, are you teaching mainly history? Yeah, yeah, mainly history uh, in government. Um, I dabble in world history. It's not my favorite. Um, and then, uh, economics is, uh, always kind of fun to get into, kind of compare it to like what's happening real world right now. Uh, but a lot of like the basics, uh, to teach is, uh, it's a little, it's a little rough to teach the basics of econ without going too in depth. Zach, what are the, uh, what are the details about what goes into the cost of gasoline for the consumer? How does the government, how does the government decide all of that in the businesses and everything who's involved in that? You know, I, I wish I could explain all of that to you in the time that you've given me, but uh, any of your recent trips to the gas station, you've, you've seen stickers on the pumps that say that somebody did that. Uh, I, I I just choose to not believe those stickers, but they're there. Somebody believes it. I don't know. I okay. So I'm just going to make a broad statement here, then, and and you can answer me the best to to your knowledge. Do presidents influence the price of gasoline? Not one bit. Not, not one. Bit. Not not even not even remotely close. But I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to. No, you know, I just wanted the truth. Toes. I just wanted the truth, and that—that's always you guys what I. Are popping I've, so many balloons right now. Stop it. I, that's what I was always taught is that they—they they don't. But could you say? Uh, could you say that certain policies that presidents put into play have a trickle down effect to the gas prices, or is it so far away from anything that they do that it's really it doesn't matter? Well, certain policies have to be uh, voted upon and agreed upon by a majority of somebody. So sure. I wouldn't put the blame on just one particular person making a policy. No, that's um, what we do. That's what we do, Zach. We we blame every. How many I, times have uh, 
has your dad blamed you for something that the rest of the team did? <laughs> Easily. <laughs> oh, man. You don't have enough time, Barrel Roller. Stop it. I'd rather answer the first question about the gas prices. My goodness. Uh, hey, Zach, you're a big baseball fan. I know this about you. Uh, you're wearing a sweet retro Toledo Mud Hens hat right now. I believe I have. Uh, I always go for the retro logos. Uh, I believe I have a red Toledo Mud Hens hat. Same, same way, except I curve my bill much more because I'm much older than you. Uh, <laughs> you can tell somebody's age by the curve of their hat, and this is a true story, except Rudy. Rudy's much older than what his bill on his hat says, and you need to come yeah. to our side, Rudy. You need to round that sucker off. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, you played in high school, so I assume you played in all organization all the way up through high school. I want to hear about your high school career uh how did that go uh tell us everything it was uh not the typical high school career uh freshman year uh so i I was in a big school so we had uh we had three teams all the way up we had a freshman a jv and a varsity freshman year made jv or freshman year made freshman uh we went undefeated um we had two stud pitchers that just they probably should have been you know maybe uh, number three on a varsity, but they, for some reason, they didn't get too many looks until uh, sophomore year. Um, sophomore year, made JV, um, got got quite a bit of time uh, playing uh, first base. Um, I, the only thing I didn't, I didn't quite hit like a typical first baseman. I was, uh, I was, you know, singles, real good eye. I could, I could, I could take a walk, you know, pretty easily. Um, didn't get the uh, the uh, call up for playoffs for uh, varsity. So uh, junior year came around, um, and there was a new JV coach, um, and he kept me on JV uh, for the year uh, to kind of fine tune me for my senior year. Uh, I didn't agree with it. I thought that I should probably have two years on varsity, but. Um, there was a, another guy my age who could absolutely, absolutely just hit the, hit the crap out of the ball. And, uh, he was probably easily eight or nine inches taller than me. So, you know, much bigger target at first base. I, so I had to kind of figure things out for my senior year, um, senior year, a whole new coaching staff comes in. Um, this guy, uh, luckily, luckily I met, uh, my uh, my varsity coach when I did because he actually got me my student teaching uh, job later on um, and it was kind of a fluke uh, he just kind of seen my name and was like oh I want him to come down but um, he uh, he kept me on and we talked about you know changing positions and stuff so I played uh, third base and I made it probably five games um, back when I was uh, in school there was there was two teams in the city. Uh, there was, uh, there was Taylor Kennedy, which I went to, and then Taylor Truman. Uh, and our first game against Truman, Crosstown Rivals, um, I think easily five out of the first six batters literally hit the ball through me at third base. Like, not at me, and I, like, fumbled the ball. It went through me. And uh, the actual coach came out and yanked me mid, uh, mid-inning. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, 
I didn't start another game after that. I uh, I subbed in, got a few at bats, but uh, yeah, senior varsity year was not great. I threw a lot of BP that year, so uh, yeah, that's kind of affected my decision to not want to pursue go any further. Um, but uh, I was always told I had a baseball mind, so um, when I did my student teaching, my uh, my old varsity coach was the principal. And he uh, he put, paired me with uh, the JV baseball coach at the school uh, that I was uh, supposed to work at. They gave me uh, they gave me an opportunity to coach JV with them. I coached with them for five years, and uh, it, something I'll never forget. I I love coaching. I love uh, you know you know working fundamentals, working uh, just with other other kids who want to like absorb that knowledge, who want to who want to you know do more than just like hit a home run or you know things like that these this, this is blowing my mind barrel roller i coached high school baseball for four years uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, uh like 10 10 10 15 some years ago but like let me ask you this question zach when you were coaching i found this for me i don't know if it was for you i felt like hitting hitting infield outfield warm-ups before games like doing the fungo tossing the ball hitting a you know hitting pop flies the outfield ground balls to the infield i felt like my swing has never been better than when i was coaching high school baseball because i was more focused on my swing and it translated into a better swing and better production during the 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 season the vintage baseball season did you have a similar experience a hundred percent, hundred percent. We would do drills uh, for 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 like the JV guys. You hit the gap, you know, you do a double cut in to third or whatever. And I swear, I don't, I don't think I've hit that many doubles before in a vintage baseball season because I'm just, I'm shooting gaps. It, it was, it was just like muscle memory for me. The only thing I could not do, and it's, it still eats me up to this day. Um, and if I go back to coaching. Uh, I need to be able to teach myself to do this is to hit a pop up to, the, up catcher. to the catcher. Yes. Pop up to the catcher. <laughs> my, my varsity uh, infield coach would put a trash can on home plate and he would just drop 10 of them into the trash can. No problem. I, I can't do it. I can't figure it out. Me either. I would, I would, I would hit a perfect infield outfield before the game warm up. Our guys are looking sharp. Um, the other teams watching from the dugout, and then it would get to the catcher, and I'd be like, "Man, I'm real sorry," and I'd just throw it up in the air. I'd be like, yep. hey, "You on your own?" Yep. Throw it up, make it look good, yeah. and, and just walk off, right? Like, don't don't wait for any other reaction. Just walk yeah. off. So once again, we're talking to Zach Holdren, uh, ballist for the Wyandotte Stars here in Michigan, uh, and you are listening to a relationship form between Rudy Frias and Zach Holdren. <laughs> Uh, that will go on for years and years and years. Uh, don't get too comfortable, though, Zach. Okay, he's mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Zach, what did the earliest baseball look like in your life when you were having a hard time understanding uh, that your shorts had to stay up? Like how, <laughs> like, like you're a little boy running around trying to learn this bat and ball game. What are those memories? Um. I got a couple, man. Uh, I I had the little tights, blue tee, with uh, the the big bat that was flat on one side and round on the other. Um, and I I was you know doing tee work, you know, two three years old. And then uh, 
I, I had a little cousin who's a year younger than me. Uh, he came and moved in with us for a, a year or two when I was probably five. And I'll never forget, I, you know, working on, you know, hitting deep fly balls, watching, you know, guys like Ken Griffey Jr. and that on TV. It's like, all right, I want to hit the ball far now off the tee. And rope one and then the backswing hit him right in the side of the head with the bat. And hearing that thud off of off of his little head, and you know, you know, don't tell mom, don't tell mom. Uh, he, uh, you know, he sucked it up, took it like a champ. Um, he ended up playing t-ball uh, with me. Uh, I was five. Somehow they got him on when he was four. And his first hit off the tee, he ran to third base. So okay. b- baseball was not for him. Um, he ended up playing soccer in high school, but. Um, yeah, uh, early on it was that, that little Tykes T doing the T work. Um, my uh, my, I guess you could say grandpa. Um, we'd sit down and watch uh, old videos of the uh, 1975 Cincinnati Reds. So that's my all time favorite team is uh, is the Big Red Machine. They had you know they did everything. They did everything right. You know Pete Rose uh, hitting, hustling everywhere. Johnny Bench kind of directing traffic out there as a captain, um, just a stud baseball team. And then, you know, been a fan forever. So, you know, Griffey was my all-time favorite player growing up. Uh, Mariners, you know, Ichiro comes over in 2001. Uh, I think I went to every Mariners game when they came to Detroit that year, um, just because it was just such a phenomenon in the way he played the game. You know, I was always the kid that was never afraid to lay down a bunt if it meant to, you know, benefit the team. And then you see each hero get up there and drag bunt and, you know, it, it was just amazing, you know? So what's not to love about baseball? And I, I don't know, like I get emotional just thinking about some of like the, the little things that, you know, people do that make it what it is. Well said, well said. Give us your favorite memory of uh, a major league baseball game that you attended. Um, oh six, uh, ALCS, my dad and I, uh, were in right field when Maglio hit the oh. uh, walk-off home run. And, uh, I, I do remember jumping into his arms and bawling my eyes out as this 16 year old kid. Uh, it was, it was emotional because we had season tickets all the way back when they were at Tiger stadium and they were just God awful to them. It was kind of like an improbable season, I think. Like, I don't think anyone had them going that far. You know, maybe make the playoffs, but it was uh, it was a special moment. Excellent. Zach, uh, I would like to point out that you may not have succeeded at third base in high school, but you got me out every time I hit it to you. And uh, that doesn't mean anything to anybody except me, <laughs> and it's not good. <laughs> Maybe it's the glove. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we're going to get you out of here with a little uh, giving you the old pepper, uh, something we do at the end of uh, most of our episodes. It's going to be quick questions with quick answers just to get you to know you a little bit better. Here we go. Okay. Zach, what was the first car you ever had? Uh, 94 Ford Mustang. Uh, how many toucan birds would it take to kill a flamingo? Seven. Out on a scale of one to ten, and one being the worst, how much would you say teachers are appreciated? Two. Accurate. 
your feelings on Miguel Cabrera still playing this season? Um, should have left three years ago. Nice. What was the first job you ever had? Uh, busing tables at a banquet hall. Did you have Hot Wheels cars when you were a kid? A couple. Uh, Dodge Vipers were my favorite. Nice. What is the best thing to do for a visitor to Wyandotte, Michigan? Uh, show them around to many of the bars in Wyandotte. Sounds great. And on that note, are the early risers the biggest drinking club you've ever come across in vintage baseball? Yes, but the Mansfield Independents give them a good run for their money. <laughs> nice. Uh, what was your favorite cartoon as a child? Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What was the first concert you ever went to? Uh, Creed. Yeah. Nice. Uh, favorite place to play besides Greenfield Village? You can't answer Greenfield. Uh, Northville. Nice. I hate right field. Uh, build me your perfect hot dog. Ooh, uh, mustard, onion, sport peppers. Nice. Uh, and lastly, give us your Mount Rushmore of your favorite Detroit Tiger players ever. Wow. Um, let's go with the double play combo of Damian Easley and Davy Cruz. Are you serious right uh, now? <laughs> you didn't. You didn't say they had to be good. No, no, no. And it's, it is your Mount Rushmore. I just want to know if you're being serious. I love Damian Easley. Anyway, continue. Yeah, <laughs> Easley and Cruz up the middle is one two. Um, uh, let's go DH uh, Juan Gonzalez, and we wow. need a pitcher in there. Wow, we need a pitcher in there. So let's go with Nate Cornejo. This is an obscure list. There ain't no way Nate Cornejo is your favorite Tiger pitcher of all time. There is you never said he had to be my favorite. He's just on the Rushmore. He's, he's, he's he, he was such a highly touted prospect that I was invested. We have a lot of those in Detroit. Highly touted prospects yes. that come out, and they usually come out and are on fire and then go off into <laughs> obscurity. Most recently, Akil Badu, also Chris Shelton in the past amongst others. <laughs> oh, God, Chris Shelton, four home runs. What happened? <laughs> what happened to you, man? All right, Zach, we really appreciate you coming in here uh, and doing this thing. You, you're always so willing to do things I ask you to do. I appreciate it. Why do you? Hey, yeah. Why are you Any so time. good to me, Zach? Somebody needs to be, right? That's true. Somebody does need to be. Uh, Rudy, go ahead and uh, say goodbye to Zach and then stick around. We have business to, to finish up. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, it's been a pleasure, Zach, to get a chance to chat with you. Uh, it's uh, <clears throat> the connective tissue of vintage baseball runs deep. And also Creed. I've seen them in concert twice. You guys need so, to exchange I phone mean... numbers is what's going on here. You guys need each <laughs> other's emails to... <laughs> or something. Jesus. I... It's it's funny that it's uh it just makes sense barrel roller you like him I'm gonna like him it yeah, just he, happens yeah, we can't, we can't fight it but hey uh best of luck to you this season and uh, I, yeah hopefully we'll, our paths will cross soon okay take it easy absolutely boys thank you very much well, have a good night Zach you too oh, good episode dude 
Uh, we had a couple of yeah, quality Michigan funny. dudes on this episode. Oh, uh, you guys got some quality people up there. Hey, Who knew? I know. Listen, I know my character is to rag on Michigan vintage baseball. But I do it tongue in cheek, okay? We got some. There's no way I fall in love with vintage baseball as much as I have if there wasn't good dudes that that made that happen. So it's like that's the reason why I like to travel up there every year, not just for the world tournament, but every chance I get. Okay, so uh, do we have anything to take care of before we release our the newest hottest single? Oof. I think it's just you know we got to give the people what they want. You know what I'm saying? Do we? <laughs> Let's face the facts about me and you. I love unspecified. Though I'm proud to call you Mocha Bear, the crowd will always talk and stare. I feel exactly those feelings too, and that's why I keep them inside. Cause this bear can't bear the world's disdain. And sometimes it's easier to hide than and explain our guy love that's all it is. Guy love, he's mine and I'm his. There's nothing gay about it in our eyes. You ask me about this thing we share, and he tenderly replies, "It's guy love between two." What the hell just happened? We do some crazy stuff around here. Uh, you know the the good the the best part about having a podcast. Of course, we love talking to the vintage baseball community, and we love talking to vintage baseball. But it also gives us an outlet to do some other things that we normally wouldn't be able to do. And uh, and because we pay for this, you have to listen to it. So, sorry. <laughs> but uh, I will listen to that for the rest of my life, my friend. <laughs> Thank you for putting that together as we sang uh, separately. So it was almost like professionally done. <laughs> it was great. Oh, that makes my heart swell ten times bigger than it is. I love it so much. Did Michelle listen to this? She has not. I have not subjected her to that yet, but I'm going to. I did subject my family to it. And the looks <laughs> it was a it was a mix. I'll tell you that. It was <laughs> <laughs> But uh we love scrubs, so we hey. hey, we try to incorporate scrubs any chance we get. Hey, uh Rudy a uh, great episode. It was great to talk to you after uh, we took last week off. And you know what? Weeks off happen. It's just the way it is. When stuff happens with you, stuff happens with me, and stuff happens with guests. And that's just the way it is. But uh, as long as we we continue to come out swinging the very next week, there is nothing wrong with that. So uh, don't forget, start working on that two hundredth episode as we get closer. Probably uh, going to hit it around June. Because uh, I know Flat Rock Invitational is going to uh, add quite a few uh, episodes to this. So, anyway, Rudy, <laughs> say goodbye to everybody. Uh, friends, for the barrel roller, I'm the Swamp Fox. And we're telling you to keep it to station to station. Station and to we'll station! See you out in the field. 
station to station!